You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views and the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites. It is brought to you by Solaray Energy, designing and installing solar and storage solutions so you can run your electric vehicle the smart way on solar. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the founder and editor of Driven.io, our rapidly emerging electric vehicle website. And we thank all our readers for um, just showing so much enthusiasm for the stories about electric vehicles. And I'm also the editor of the Renew Economy and One Step Off the Grid websites. Look, we've got a pretty special episode this time. Um, we've got uh, Renew Economy's deputy editor, Sophie Varath, or Warath, um, standing by. She's actually sitting in a Kia Nero, the new electric vehicle offering um, that sort of hit the um, Australian streets. And we've also got a couple of interviews that we did at the recent Smart Energy Conference in Sydney about sort of vehicle-to-grid charging and also some of the new um, electric vehicle subsidies in Victoria. But first of all, Sophie, and I'm sh- sorry, I mashed up your surname but you you tell me you get used to that but um welcome to the podcast and um how's it sitting in the in the Kia Nero it's quite delightful considering it I could be sitting at home listening to my children so (laughs) I'm in a little peaceful pod outside my house and uh yes it's very pleasant now you've taken that. Now the Kia Nero was just sort of unveiled, or just sort of you know it, it's launched in Australia. It's been in overseas markets for a while, but this is a new addition, a very welcome new addition to the Australian market because um, we're actually sort of struggling for choice um, in Australia. But so tell us a little bit. Um, you've picked one up and you've got it for a week, but you've had it for a day. You've been driving it around. T- took yourself off. Uh, took yourself up to Mount Macedon, I think it was in Victoria. I did. Yes. How was the drive? It was lovely. It was lovely. And it, I, I have to say, this is up there with the Tesla for the most sort of intuitive EV I've driven so far. Like it, it just, um, I didn't spend my customary sort of 45 minutes <laughs> trying to work out where everything was and um, what everything does, although that's maybe a reflection on me. <laughs> um, but it just, it's a really nice car to drive. It's the 64 kilowatt hour battery. So there's a lot of charge on there. Just under 450 kilometers, allegedly, when I mm-hmm. first got in. And yeah, it's got a lot of um, nice features. And So what is yeah. it? Is, is it a sedan or an SUV? Tell us about no, what sort of car it is. It's a small SUV, like, uh-huh. you know, very, pretty small. Can but, you fit you the know, kids in the back? Definitely can fit the kids in the back. Um, not heaps of room for a massive trip with lots of luggage, but everything you need um, really for a, a small family. And um, yeah, plenty of plenty of room and very comfortable. I think the thing that impressed me probably the most of all straight away was the regenerative braking because usually it takes you quite a while to get used to that. But this has got... Um, quite a few levels of it and I found myself not using the brakes at all very quickly and um, not having that sort of jerky experience that you sometimes have when you take your foot off the accelerator and it kind of you, you, you yeah you're not used to sort of just easing off the accelerator and, and sort of easing into the regenerative braking I, I found it great 
Yeah, it looks, it's one of the one of the things I really love about driving an electric vehicle is the regenerative braking. And I'm actually quite surprised when I hear people who do have EVs and actually put their sort of settings on low because they like to sort of cruise. And um, in fact, I actually had the drive of a, a Porsche Taycan um, about a month or so ago, and they they they've actually gone to all extent to actually get rid of a regenerative braking because they don't like slowing down their lap times and, don't oh. like, and they don't <laughs> like sort of throwing out the anchors as they say going down the autobahn but in Australia it just seems a bit of a wasted opportunity but uh, although they do have re regenerative braking it's activated when you actually sort of hit the the brake pedal but it just means you're using the two pedals but what I really like about electric vehicles at least the ones that I've driven apart from the take is that you this single pedal driving and you basically can do so much on just one pedal Yep. accelerator normally advancing and then just easing off and it slows down and i really quite enjoy it yeah well i think it's it does take getting used to and so I, you know i would recommend people who are new to them to start and this is where um the nero is great because it has these pedals on the steering wheel and you can add and subtract the amount of regenerative braking and you can get it to the point where you you can use one pedal driving you really to all intents and purposes unless the kangaroo runs in front of you don't need to use the brake um, you know, and driving around the, the beautiful hills in Mount Macedon, it was amazing. You know, like I could, you know, I, I drive pretty sensibly, but I was able to drive around these sort of hairpin turns and stuff, you know, really not using the brakes at all. And the fun part of that is that the, one of the settings you can have on the um, display in front of you is to watch the energy flow is pretty useless for, for anything except for sort of novelty but when you're using the regenerative braking you do you watch it switch from flowing to the wheels to flowing back to the battery and that's um it, it was quite for this nerd i quite enjoyed it <laughs> and <laughs> it i was probably... i was going oh i put on three kilometers there <laughs> oh there you go look if, if you're like me and you sort of live at the top of the hill and you go down in the morning for a cup of coffee you actually end up at the, at, at the cafe um with more in the battery than you actually left you had when you actually left but um then it's which a is matter a fabulous. When you go back up the hill. Yeah. it is fabulous yeah a fabulous feeling you know you, can, you and that, that was similar you know I, there were parts of this sort of very hilly road that I you know didn't I think I gained about five kilometers at one stage all in a row you know and that disappears again <laughs> but uh <laughs> it is quite something to to experience that and and it just it actually makes the car handle so much better is the main thing I think it mm. just it, it feels you feel like you're hugging the road and um there's not that sort of well, you feel like you're hugging the road because you've got a lot of weight in the uh, in, in the floor, right. so you've got a low centre of gravity. Now, so tell me, tell me about the sort of the, the the instant torque, which is a feature of most electric vehicles or all electric vehicles, at least it should be. Um, did you give the acceleration a bit of a workout? I did. Um, it, in economy, it there isn't much uh, torque. <laughs> it's so it's very much you know as as the brochure says. But once you get into sport mode, it's got um, great acceleration. And that, you know, includes sort of just driving around in neighbourhood streets and also, you know, out on the on the highway, I was able to, you know, easily overtake cars and it was, it's very good. But yeah, the difference between economy and then there's a normal setting and then the sport is quite pronounced. Um, so I imagine, mm, and yeah, you might drive in sport for sort of long drives and then perhaps just around home, perhaps in normal, but economy, yeah, not sure. 
Not sure. Well, maybe in a nice leisurely holiday. I actually took a, um, we hired a Nissan Leaf down in Tasmania um, earlier this year, and it had the same three um, options, sort of economy, normal and sport. And look, we actually never went out of economy for the whole trip, but we were on holidays. We were quite happy to take it um, nice and cruisy and um, still sort of found it quite suitable. So when you are in sport, then has it got a fair bit of zip for acceleration and things? Yeah, a lot. I didn't didn't do any timing or anything, but you know it, it's it's very quick to sixty. That's for sure. And you know we you can where I was driving the limit was one hundred and ten, and you can sort of get to that very quickly as well. <laughs> well it's nice to get to the speed limit quickly. Yes, as yes. long as you don't go over the top of it, of course. Um, well, that brings us to the uh, to this the cruise control and the assisted driving, which was okay. Very Tell us about that. Well, that, so it has this assisted driving mode, which, I mean, so the cruise control, and I'm not sure whether they're the same thing. I couldn't, didn't quite work that out in this one trip, but basically what I thought was cruise control, which is very easy to set and very intuitive again, like worked it out straight away just on the steering wheel. But once you put that in, um, the steering changes in your hands and you can feel that. And I sort of thought, oh gosh, it's gotten a bit heavy, but it's actually it uh, does a little bit of steering for you, which is a bit, you know, at, at first a little bit unnerving. Certainly you don't take your hands off the wheel or anything like that, but um, sort of prompts you almost. And um, again, it has also the warnings if you go outside the lines of the road. I found that far friendlier than the Nissan Leaf, which did a sort of a very loud, angry beep at you with the slightest outside the lines. Whereas this one just sort of had the low little beep um, and definitely um, keeps you in your lane, but not sort of shouting. Yeah, I remember when driving the Taycan, actually, it was, um, it had a little like, sort of like a, um, a frog croaking or something like that. It was, um, it was, it was quite a discreet sort of sound as he sort of, sort of um, went, went, went over the lane. Yeah. Now, look, tell us about the price. Um, my understanding is it's sort of pitched in about the mid 60s or something like that, including on roads. It is. The, the model that I have is, is I think, drive away 70. So it's a, it's a, a lot. But it's actually, you know, it is a really nice car. It's got a huge, huge battery, huge, great range, you know. And, and I, you know, as Bridie wrote in that story, it's a little bit of a shame that they're not bringing the cheaper, slightly um, smaller range version here because we just haven't uh, matured past that. Yeah, the... <laughs> that, um... The, um, it, it's interesting because that's sort of kind of in the same ballpark as the Tesla Model 3. In fact, the Tesla Model 3 might even be a bit underneath that at the moment. And it's also in the ballpark of the Hyundai Kona. So I guess it really just depends um, on people's individual taste, whether they want an SUV, the sort of range that they want to have. They both get longer range of the Kona and the um, Nero. You get a completely different experience with the Model 3. Um, the reality is, though, that these are still prices well beyond what most people would want to pay for an electric vehicle then I, I think so but having driven this one it really is a pleasure to drive and it's really I guess it's scotches that you'd want so as you say I think there are plenty of cars out there that cost this much money that that are still petrol and um, that people are seem willing to pay so I think it's going to be really interesting 
Well, it's going to be interesting indeed. Listen, I think it's probably time to actually listen to some of our other um, interviews that we did. Um, the first one is actually for Ben Warren. He's the head of mobility in uh, Nissan Australia. And uh, I talked to him about Smart Energy Council. And then Nissan released its uh, longer range, well, its, its second generation Kona and also its longer range model just recently. We had a look at that. Uh, why we're at the Smart Energy Conference. And one of the interesting things about this is its vehicle-to-grid capability, the idea that not only can you actually charge the car from um, your home, but you can actually put it back in to your home and also back into the grid. So let's have a listen to Ben. Okay, so I'm with uh, Ben Warren from um, Nissan. Um, great to see you, Ben. Um, how are you enjoying the conference? It's been uh, it's been good fun. Yeah. Plenty of questions, plenty of people around. Yeah, look, it's interesting. I'm going to cut back a couple of years of solar conferences, didn't see any electric cars, but um, now they're here and you're selling them and we're actually standing in front of the new, um, well, it's not so much new, but it's new to Australia. It's the long-range Nissan Leaf. Mm-hmm. So um, how's the interest going in that? Yeah, it's really good. Uh, I think uh, the market's come a long way. People are, people are more interested in EVs than they ever have before and the E-plus puts a nice new element of choice um, for customers. So what is it, about 400 kilometre range or something yeah, like that? 385. 385, oh, yep. close enough, yeah, okay. And that's sort of in and around town, or what does it do on the highway? Uh, on the highway it's probably a little bit less, um, probably down to the 300k yeah. range if you're on the open road, yeah. but if you're, if you're you know, on the flip side of that, if you're just going around town, it's probably a little bit more. So. Yeah, absolutely. Now, look, one of the interesting things about this Nissan Leaf is that it's the first pure electric car to come to Australia which has got bi-directional charging mm-hmm. abilities. And basically what we mean by that is that not only do you, can you charge the car from the grid, but you can actually feed it back in yep. to the grid. So we're actually standing in front of the Nissan Leaf here, a, a, a nice grey one actually, I quite like this colour. And you've got this um, bi-directional charger on. I don't know whether it's been bi-directional at the moment. I fancy it's not. No, it's but not. anyway, it kind of looks like, geez, it's kind of like a square box. It looks like the back of a fan. It kind of looks a bit sort of modern. But um, tell us a bit more about it. Yeah, so what we've got here is the, the Wallbox Quasar, which is um, the uh, bi-directional charger that we're using for some of the trial programs we've got in development at the moment. And um, as you can see, it's a pretty sleek, small uh, unit. So it looks nice. It's designed for you know homes and things so it's not too intrusive um, and as you said it's really creating that link between the car and the energy market so you can charge it like every electric car but you can also take the power out and use it for your house or support the grid or trade on the energy market yeah looks actually really interesting so where would you put this in the garage or would you put it outside or uh, basically where you'd put a normal charger so on the yeah the garage or okay. in the car park um, yeah anywhere you'd put a standard charger so what are some of the issues then because you've had the Nissan Leafs in, in in the country for about a year now but there's lots of issues to actually work through so that they're actually accepted as part of the network and part of the grid yeah so I think there's a few things that we've been working through I mean the first one is from a technical perspective is just getting all the um, local relevant standards met for the charger so typically it's AS4777.2 um, which we're working through um, and so we expect to see that um, expect to see that you know later this year which will be good um, and then the other pieces from that are things like the um, economics of it. So what are the business models that you know, this can introduce for customers, for retailers and all those types of things. And then the social element about you know, what do customers want to do with their car? What are they willing to do? How much control will they hand over? 
um, and what do they expect to be remunerated for that? So. so do you imagine people just doing this on sort of an individual basis and just sort of doing whatever it is that they want to do by feeding back into the grid? Or do you, man, man, do you imagine them to be part of a broader plan which might be offered by a retailer or an aggregator or something like that? Because they, they'll come up and say to these cars, um, look, there's 50 of you or there's 100 of you. If we can aggregate you, then we can actually provide a service to the grid. Um, it means certain requirements. So do you think people will go for that sort of thing? Or do they think they'll just go for like an individual well, basis? Yeah, I think these are these are part of the questions that these trial programs are seeking to yeah. unlock. Because, I mean, when you think about vehicle to grid or vehicle to home, I think for any customer, their first preference is catering for their own needs. Yep. So supplying their own home, effectively removing, um, you, know, feet, you know, taking power from the grid. They're charging with solar, they're using the car during times when renewables aren't available. Yeah. But then, after you're doing that for a little while, you, you just quickly realise that the capacity in the vehicle is so There's great. a big battery sitting there, yes, not doing so much it much. Yeah. There, yeah. Well, that's what I get. I, yeah. I've got an electric car, but it's not one that um, that I can um, I can be bidirectional with. So I'm, I know that there's a very big battery sitting in the driveway, right. and sometimes if my lights go out, I can't do anything about it. So, yeah, um, so yes, so, so there is that. So once you start getting engaged with fitting it back into the grid, then you think, well, what's the capacity? What's the, what's the potential of this? Because these are big batteries in here, aren't they? I mean, yeah. they basically account for you know two or three or even four days worth of um, average household use. Absolutely, and I think that's where um, those business models will be interesting because we will start to see uh, retailers and different people in the in the space um, offering you know, virtual power plant style programs where they're potentially subsidising the hardware um, in in exchange for participation in, in you know, grid services yeah. and grid support. So I think for customers it means you can save on your own consumption and own usage first and foremost, but then there's other revenue channels with all that capacity there. It's, yeah. It really changes that notion or the value of energy, um, which I think is really powerful. Tell me why these charges are actually quite expensive. I don't know whether you can tell me how expensive they are, and I guess that would suggest to me that you would probably be part of a scheme where a retailer might help subsidise or defray the cost of them. Why is it that much more expensive to have bi-directional of these than have a simple charger? I mean, is it that much more complicated than machinery? Well, yeah, I mean, I guess it is because it's um, it's it's a charger, but it's a, it, this is a DC charger, so it's got it's inverting um, power there. So um, and also it's new technology. So there's there's not a lot of competitors in the market. It's very new. The companies are trying to recoup their R&D investment, which is pretty sizable. Yep. So it's kind of like all new technologies have that kind of price curve. So uh -huh. we expect over over the years to come, it'll probably get down to a point where it's equivalent of that of a solar inverter. Right. We're just not at that point yet. Okay, we've got, got a bit of a ways to go. And yeah. I should point out that this is actually not your technology. You've no. actually got a third party providing this. So um, yep. maybe that's something that the Nissan Motor thing can do. But anyway. So so, um, just on just general sales, I don't know whether you can tell me about the sales. Is, is, is the market looking up in Australia? I mean, we've seen the Victorian um, government introduce a subsidy and stuff like that. Are you guys detecting any interest? I mean, you're not the sales manager, but um, maybe you've got a bit of a, an insight into what's happening? Yeah, look, I think um, we're seeing um, pretty solid sales. Um, if we think about what it was when we launched the first generation back in 2012, it's mm. a drastically different
market today. Yep. Um, I mean, the products come a long way, and um, but the awareness of EVs is much greater. People are more interested. So I think we're starting to see a little bit more, and we just launched the E Plus this month. So I think that extra choice for customers will um, help grow a few more sales as well. And did that? Did the Victorian solar, um, Victorian not solar rebate, but EV rebate? Um, has that kicked along interest? Do you know? Yeah, we're certainly seeing some interest from um, customers and dealers who, you know, dealers on behalf of customers, um, where they've been, you know, looking at it for a little while, and it's kind of the tipping point. Um, it's not. It's you know, typically those customers who have been thinking about or fair way into the purchase journey. I don't think it's necessarily pulling people onto the dance floor right. just yet, but um, but it's still early days. Oh, I like I like that. That's, that's a nice way to end. Pulling people onto the dance floor. I'm sure it'll happen eventually. Um, ben, thanks for joining us. No, thank you. And that was Ben Warren from Nissan uh, talking about the Nissan Leaf. Um, Sophie, I'm actually quite excited by the aspect of uh, vehicle to grid, although it sounds like it's going to be a little bit uh, complicated. Um, I might just be satisfied with some of the new models, which ha just have a simple plug, like the new Ford Electric Ute, which came out this week, and it's just got a whole bunch of plugs. You can just plug your appliance in. You can probably go camping and plug things in. And if the lights go out in your house, as they did in Queensland this week, then you can just put out an extension cord and plug that into the car pretty simple really <laughs> it is and it could be a very good you know baby step for us where we seem to some of the more the, the technological leaps uh we don't seem to embrace as much it could be a, a great sort of cross for us i think you know having this amazing battery on wheels that you can take with you um especially for camping for that well, as long as people don't bring um, their television sets then i'll be happy uh it could be quite excruciating <laughs> if you go out to nice a nice remote camping site which is usually sort of um doesn't have electricity so it uh the, the noise level should be low Look, you mentioned about price, and um, one of the key things is, of course, the high price of EVs. But the Victoria government, where you are, um, has actually come out with the first um, electric vehicle subsidy, which was welcome because they've also come out with the first EV road tax, which has created a lot of controversy. Um, but to try and uh, win friends and influence people, it's introduced the first uh, direct rebate of $3,000 for people buying new electric cars. It came into effect at the beginning of May. And I caught up with Stan Kerpan from Solar Victoria, which is managing this process. And uh, here's what he had to say. I was speaking with Stan Kerpan from Solar Victoria. Stan, um, great to catch up. Great to catch up. How are you, Giles? Look, I'm pretty well. I'm pretty tired. It's been a long day. But you are the... Um, look, Elon Musk calls, calls himself, or he's called, calls his chief executive finance officer, master of coin. Um, you, if I can sort of describe it, as sort of the master of Australia's first EV subsidy. So the Victorian government has announced this new $3,000 subsidy, partly to offset, I guess, this sort of controversial road tax that they're coming up with. But let's just focus on the EV subsidy. You're managing that scheme. What's been the initial response? Yeah, sure. Well, uh, let me start by not usurping uh, the minister and the government's uh, role here, Charles. So um, obviously the, the Victorian government is really committed to a zero um, uh, emissions, carbon-free future, 2050 commitment, huge commitments to renewable energy, etc. Our job is to implement some of that and we're sure. really delighted to be implementing some of those subsidy schemes. Obviously solar homes, solar batteries, mm. that's now expanding to solar for business in the next few weeks. 
Um, we've got a program around energy efficiency with low income households and of course this is our latest which we're really excited about. It's an electric vehicle subsidy, uh, 20,000 Victorians will benefit from that over the next three years. Uh, the first tranche of 4,000 um, is at $3,000 um, per car, mm -hmm. if you like. Um, uh, so they're light uh, passenger vehicles uh, and uh, we're basically already in market. So on the 2nd of May, when the government announced it, it indicated that anybody who purchased an mm -hmm. EV from that day would be eligible. Um, and we're now working with manufacturers yeah. and um, dealers and the peak bodies to um, work through some of the um, some, some of the so issues around implementation. How much interest have you had? How many, how many registrations or what can you tell us? It's been huge. I think the government anticipated that there was this really strong interest mm. in, in electric vehicles. Infrastructure Victoria did a great piece of work a few months ago where they had a citizen's jury of about 200 Victorians. 70% mm. of them said that they wanted to see um, fossil fuel vehicles, if you like, um, phased out by 2030. Yeah. Um, and on this one, uh, from the day that we opened on the 2nd of May, we've had about 8,000 web hits, which right. means people are actually looking yes. to the Solar Victoria website to, to find information about this. We've had about 400 um, customers already register, and I'm, I'm hearing great things from the from the manufacturers and the dealers. So does that mean that they're expressing an interest in getting a subsidy if they buy an electric car, or have they already bought an electric car and they want the subsidy? Look, it's hard to know because what they're doing is exactly what we ask yeah. them to, which is express interest. We'll keep them informed. We've just sent out, out our first electronic direct message to, to those people who are interested. Mm. Some of, them are already, of them are already in market, so they're making inquiries about a vehicle mm. and want to purchase. Some of them have already made a purchase, and then they want to get their, right. their reimbursement. And okay. uh, obviously, we'll work with the Vic Roads to catch up with them. But the idea is that we'll design a scheme that works, I think, for, for everybody and that is the easiest and simplest yeah. to access. And we think that that's probably working through manufacturers and dealers. And so one of the things, unanswered questions is it's for 20,000 people, but I think that it's been carefully phrased up to $3,000. So I get the impression that it might be $3,000 for the first phase of 4,000 people, then it might not be that much in subsequent phases. Yeah, look, I think the government has been really open that it will revisit um, both the threshold. So at the moment it applies to vehicles that are less than 68740 mm -hmm. um, That's an all-inclusive um, price, if you like. Um, uh, but whether that threshold changes in the next tranche and whether the rebate value changes is something that we'll work with the industry okay. on. Okay, okay. Have you made an application yet? <laughs> oh, I wish I could. I'm just a humble public servant, Giles. But you must despite You've got to test the product, surely. <laughs> uh, in fact, um, we're looking forward to, I think, the department and the government has committed to 400 EVs within the next two years uh -huh. and we'll be one of the first in... Uh, in the queue for that. We've already got charging stations at our Morwell headquarters. Right. Ready there. Now we just ready, need the vehicle to arrive. So does the government get the rebate? Uh, I don't think the government will get the <laughs> rebate, but we're certainly committed to, to this industry and, and we're wanting to support it. Yeah. And I think that's coming in a range of ways. The um, uh, commitment to have all vehicles, um, sorry, 50% by 2030 um, as, uh, as EVs is a huge commitment. Mm. I think there's policy commitments. There's a whole lot of work to be done around distributed energy generally, as you know, and that'll include EVs and batteries and how we use them more dynamically mm -hmm. in the system. Right. Great to talk to you, Stan. You too. Thanks, Giles. And that was Stan Kirpan from Solar Victoria. Um, Sophie, it's no surprise that people would rush um, to get uh, a rebate as long as they've got um, some sort of vehicle in their mind, which is uh, within their ballpark, um, because what we've seen from the driven, the interest, and uh, just from anecdotal evidence, a lot of people are sort of saying they want their next car to be electric. They just want to have a car that's within their price range and suits their lifestyle. Yep. And for myself, 
I can think of so many people that it would suit for the vast majority of our neighbours and friends around here. They're all very keen to make their own contributions and to feel like they're doing something. Yeah, absolutely. Look, we'll um, enjoy the, um, the, the Kia Nero for the rest of your time with the uh, Media Loan Car, Sophie, and um, look forward to reading your story of your experiences. Uh, we'd just like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, Solaray Energy, and all our listeners. And um, we're going to be rolling out these podcasts on a more regular basis, so please tune in and check out the website, www.thedriven.io, and uh, we look forward to talking to you more via this podcast or hearing from you via the website. That's all for now. Goodbye. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Solaray Energy. Solaray Energy has been designing and installing solar and storage solutions for electric vehicle owners since EVs first arrived in Australia. There's a smarter way to run your EV from Solaray. Visit solaray.com.au forward slash the driven.